Chapter Thirteen of the Further Adventures of Robinson Crusoe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Further Adventures of Robinson Crusoe by Daniel Defoe. Chapter Thirteen: Arrival in China. The greater weight the anxieties and perplexities of these things were to our thoughts while we were at sea, the greater was our satisfaction when we saw ourselves on shore, and my partner told me he dreamed that he had a very heavy load upon his back, which he was to carry up a hill, and found that he was not able to stand longer under it, but that the Portuguese pilot came and took it off his back, and the hill disappeared, the ground before him appearing all smooth and plain. And truly it was so, they were all like men who had a load taken off their backs. For my part I had a weight taken off from my heart that it was not able any longer to bear, and as I said above we resolved to go no more to sea in that ship. When we came on shore the old pilot, who was now our friend, got us a lodging, together with a warehouse for our goods. It was a little hut with a larger house adjoining to it, built and also palisadoed round with canes, to keep out pilferers, of which there were not a few in that country. However, the magistrates allowed us a little guard, and we had a soldier with a kind of half-pike, who stood sentinel at our door, to whom we allowed a pint of rice and a piece of money about the value of three pence per day, so that our goods were kept very safe. The fair or mart usually kept at this place had been over some time. However, we found that there were three or four junks in the river, and two ships from Japan, with goods which they had bought in China, and were not gone away, having some Japanese merchants on shore. The first thing our old Portuguese pilot did for us was to get us acquainted with three missionary Romish priests who were in the town, and who had been there some time converting the people to Christianity but we thought they made but poor work of it, and made them but sorry Christians when they had done. One of these was a Frenchman, whom they called Father Simon, another was a Portuguese, and a third a Genoese. Father Simon was courteous and very agreeable company, but the other two were more reserved, seemed rigid and austere, and applied seriously to the work they came about, viz., to talk with and insinuate themselves among the inhabitants wherever they had opportunity. We often ate and drank with those men, and though I must confess the conversion, as they call it, of the Chinese to Christianity, is so far from the true conversion required to bring heathen people to the faith of Christ, that it seems to amount to little more than letting them know the name of Christ, and say some prayers to the Virgin Mary and her Son, in a tongue which they understand not, and to cross themselves, and the like, yet it must be confessed that the religionists whom we call missionaries have a firm belief that these people will be saved and that they are the instruments of it and on this account they undergo not only the fatigue of the voyage and the hazards of living in such places but oftentimes death itself and the most violent tortures for the sake of this work Father Simon was appointed, it seems, by order of the chief of the mission, to go up to Pekin, and waited only for another priest, who was ordered to come to him from Macau, to go along with him. We scarce ever met together, but he was inviting me to go that journey, telling me how he would show me all the glorious things of that mighty empire, and among the rest Pekin, the greatest city in the world. A city, said he, that your London and our Paris put together cannot be equal to but as I looked on those things with different eyes from other men, so I shall give my opinion of them in a few words, when I come in the course of my travels to speak more particularly of them. 
dining with father simon one day and being very merry together i showed some little inclination to go with him and he pressed me and my partner very hard to consent why father says my partner should you desire our company so much you know we are heretics and you do not love us nor cannot keep us company with any pleasure oh says he you may perhaps be good catholics in time my business here is to convert heathens and who knows but i may convert you too very well father said i so you will preach to us all the way i will not be troublesome to you says he our religion does not divest us of good manners besides we are here like countrymen and so we are compared to the place we are in and if you are huguenots and i a catholic we may all be christians at last at least we are all gentlemen and we may converse so without being uneasy to one another i liked this part of his discourse very well and it began to put me in mind of my priest that i had left in the brazils but father simon did not come up to his character by a great deal for though this friar had no appearance of a criminal levity in him yet he had not that fund of christian zeal strict piety and sincere affection to religion that my other good ecclesiastic had but to leave him a little though he never left us nor solicited us to go with him we had something else before us at first for we had all this while our ship and our merchandise to dispose of and we began to be very doubtful what we should do for we were now in a place of very little business once i was about to venture to sail for the river of kilam and the city of nankin but providence seemed now more visibly as i thought than ever to concern itself in our affairs and i was encouraged from this very time to think i should one way or other get out of this entangled circumstance and be brought home to my own country again though i had not the least view of the manner providence i say began here to clear up our way a little and the first thing that offered was that our old portuguese pilot brought a japan merchant to us who inquired what goods we had and in the first place he bought all our opium and gave us a very good price for it paying us in gold by weight some in small pieces of their own coin and some in small wedges of about ten or twelve ounces each while we were dealing with him for our opium it came into my head that he might perhaps deal for the ship too and i ordered the interpreter to propose it to him he shrunk up his shoulders at it when it was first proposed to him but in a few days after he came to me with one of the missionary priests for his interpreter and told me he had a proposal to make to me which was this he had bought a great quantity of our goods when he had no thoughts of proposals made to him of buying the ship and that therefore he had not money to pay for the ship but if i would let the same men who were in the ship navigate her he would hire the ship to go to japan and would send them from thence to the philippine islands with another loading which he would pay the freight of before they went from japan and that at their return he would buy the ship i began to listen to his proposal and so eager did my head still run upon rambling that i could not but begin to entertain a notion of going myself with him and so set sail from the philippine islands away to the south seas accordingly i asked the japanese merchant if he would not hire us to the philippine islands and discharge us there he said no he could not do that for then he could not have the return of his cargo but he would discharge us in japan at the ship's return well still i was for taking him at that proposal and going myself 
but my partner wiser than myself persuaded me from it representing the dangers as well of the seas as of the japanese who are a false cruel and treacherous people likewise those of the spaniards at the philippines more false cruel and treacherous than they but to bring this long turn of our affairs to a conclusion the first thing we had to do was to consult with the captain of the ship and with his men and know if they were willing to go to japan while i was doing this the young man whom my nephew had left with me as my companion came up and told me that he thought that voyage promised very fair and that there was a great prospect of advantage and he would be very glad if i undertook it but that if i would not and would give him leave he would go as a merchant or as i pleased to order him that if ever he came to england and i was there and alive he would render me a faithful account of his success which should be as much mine as i pleased I was loath to part with him, but considering the prospect of advantage, which really was considerable, and that he was a young fellow likely to do well in it, I inclined to let him go, but I told him I would consult my partner and give him an answer the next day. I discoursed about it with my partner, who thereupon made me a most generous offer. "'You know it has been an unlucky ship,' said he, "'and we both resolve not to go to sea in it again. If your steward,' so he called my man, "'will venture the voyage, I will leave my share of the vessel to him, and let him make the best of it. And if we live to meet in England, and he meets with success abroad, he shall account for one half of the profits of the ship's freight to us, the other shall be his own.' if my partner who was no way concerned with my young man made him such an offer i could not do less than offer him the same and all the ship's company being willing to go with him we made over half the ship to him in property and took a writing from him obliging him to account for the other and away he went to japan the japan merchant proved a very punctual honest man to him protected him at japan and got him a license to come on shore which the europeans in general have not lately obtained he paid him his freight very punctually sent him to the philippines loaded with japan and china wares and a supercargo of their own who trafficking with the spaniards brought back european goods again and a great quantity of spices and there he was not only paid his freight very well and at a very good price but not being willing to sell the ship then the merchant furnished him with goods on his own account and with some money and some spices of his own which he brought with him he went back to the manilas where he sold his cargo very well here having made a good acquaintance at manila he got his ship made a free ship and the governor of manila hired him to go to acapulco on the coast of america and gave him a license to land there and to travel to mexico and to pass in any spanish ship to europe with all his men he made the voyage to acapulco very happily and there he sold his ship and having there also obtained allowance to travel by land to portobello he found means to get to jamaica with all his treasure and about eight years after came to england exceeding rich but to return to our particular affairs being now to part with the ship and ship's company it came before us of course to consider what recompense we should give to the two men that gave us such timely notice of the design against us in the river cambodia the truth was they had done us a very considerable service and deserved well at our hands though by the way they were a couple of rogues too for as they believed the story of our being pirates and that we had really run away with the ship they came down to us not only to betray the design that was formed against us but to go to sea with us as pirates 
one of them confessed afterwards that nothing else but the hopes of going a-roguing brought him to do it however the service they did us was not the less and therefore as i had promised to be grateful to them i first ordered the money to be paid them which they said was due to them on board their respective ships over and above that i gave each of them a small sum of money in gold which contented them very well i then made the englishman gunner in the ship the gunner being now made second mate and purser the dutchman i made boatswain so they were both very well pleased and proved very serviceable being both able seamen and very stout fellows we were now on shore in china if i thought myself banished and remote from my own country at bengal where i had many ways to get home for my money what could i think of myself now when i was about a thousand leagues farther off from home and destitute of all manner of prospect of return all we had for it was this that in about four months time there was to be another fair at the place where we were and then we might be able to purchase some various manufactures of the country and withal might possibly find some chinese junks from tonquin for sale that would carry us and our goods whither we pleased this i liked very well and resolved to wait besides as our particular persons were not obnoxious so if any english or dutch ships came thither perhaps we might have an opportunity to load our goods and get passage to some other place in india nearer home upon these hopes we resolved to continue here but to divert ourselves we took two or three journeys into the country first we went ten days journey to nankin a city well worth seeing they say it has a million of people in it it is regularly built and the streets are all straight and cross one another in direct lines but when i come to compare the miserable people of these countries with ours their fabrics their manner of living their government their religion their wealth and their glory as some call it i must confess that i scarcely think it worth my while to mention them here we wonder at the grandeur the riches the pomp the ceremonies the government the manufactures the commerce and conduct of these people not that there is really any matter for wonder but because having a true notion of the barbarity of those countries the rudeness and the ignorance that prevail there we do not expect to find any such things so far off otherwise what are their buildings to the palaces and royal buildings of europe what their trade to the universal commerce of england holland france and spain what are their cities to ours for wealth strength gaiety of apparel rich furniture and infinite variety what are their ports supplied with a few junks and barks to our navigation our merchant fleets our large and powerful navies our city of london has more trade than half their mighty empire one english dutch or french man-of-war of eighty guns would be able to fight almost all the shipping belonging to china but the greatness of their wealth their trade the power of their government and the strength of their armies may be a little surprising to us because as i have said considering them as a barbarous nation of pagans little better than savages we did not expect such things among them but all the forces of their empire though they were to bring two millions of men into the field together would be able to do nothing but ruin the country and starve themselves a million of their foot could not stand before one embattled body of our infantry posted so as not to be surrounded though they were not to be one to twenty in number nay i do not boast if i say that thirty thousand german or english foot and ten thousand horse well managed could defeat all the forces of china 
nor is there a fortified town in china that could hold out one month against the batteries and attacks of a european army they have firearms it is true but they are awkward and uncertain in their going off and their powder has but little strength their armies are badly disciplined and want skill to attack or temper to retreat and therefore i must confess it seemed strange to me when i came home and heard our people say such fine things of the power glory magnificence and trade of the chinese because as far as i saw they appeared to be a contemptible herd or crowd of ignorant sordid slaves subjected to a government qualified only to rule such a people and were not its distance inconceivably great from muscovy and that empire in a manner as rude impotent and ill-governed as they the czar of muscovy might with ease drive them all out of their country and conquer them in one campaign and had the czar who is now a growing prince fallen this way instead of attacking the warlike swedes and equally improved himself in the art of war as they say he has done and if none of the powers of europe had envied or interrupted him he might by this time have been emperor of china instead of being beaten by the king of sweden at narva when the latter was not one to six in number as their strength and their grandeur so their navigation commerce and husbandry are very imperfect compared to the same things in europe also in their knowledge their learning and in their skill in the sciences they are either very awkward or defective though they have globes or spheres and a smattering of the mathematics and think they know more than all the world besides but they know little of the motions of the heavenly bodies and so grossly and absurdly ignorant are their common people that when the sun is eclipsed they think a great dragon has assaulted it and is going to run away with it and they fall a-clattering with all the drums and kettles in the country to fright the monster away just as we do to hive a swarm of bees as this is the only excursion of the kind which i have made in all the accounts i have given of my travels so i shall make no more such it is none of my business nor any part of my design but to give an account of my own adventures through a life of inimitable wanderings and a long variety of changes which perhaps few that come after me will have heard the like of i shall therefore say very little of all the mighty places desert countries and numerous people i have yet to pass through more than relates to my own story and which my concern among them will make necessary i was now as near as i can compute in the heart of china about thirty degrees north of the line for we were returned from nanking i had indeed a mind to see the city of pekin which i had heard so much of and father simon importuned me daily to do it at length his time of going away being set and the other missionary who was to go with him being arrived from macao it was necessary that we should resolve either to go or not so i referred it to my partner and left it wholly to his choice who at length resolved it in the affirmative and we prepared for our journey we set out with a very good advantage as to finding the way for we got leave to travel in the retinue of one of their mandarins a kind of viceroy or principal magistrate in the province where they reside and who take great state upon them travelling with great attendance and great homage from the people who are sometimes greatly impoverished by them being obliged to furnish provisions for them and all their attendants in their journeys 
I particularly observed in our traveling with his baggage, that though we received sufficient provisions both for ourselves and our horses from the country, as belonging to the Mandarin, yet we were obliged to pay for everything we had, after the market price of the country, and the Mandarin's steward collected it duly from us. Thus our traveling in the retinue of the Mandarin, though it was a great act of kindness, was not such a mighty favor to us, but was a great advantage to him, considering there were above thirty other people traveled in the same manner besides us, under the protection of his retinue, for the country furnished all the provisions for nothing to him, and yet he took our money for them. We were twenty-five days traveling to Pekin, through a country exceeding populous, but I think badly cultivated, the husbandry, the economy, and the way of living miserable, though they boast so much of the industry of the people, I say miserable, if compared with our own, but not so to these poor wretches who know no other, the pride of the poor people is infinitely great, and exceeded by nothing but their poverty, in some parts which adds to that which I call their misery, and I must needs think the savages of America live more happy than the poorer sort of these, because as they have nothing, so they desire nothing, whereas these are proud and insolent in the main, and are in many parts mere beggars and drudges. Their ostentation is inexpressible, and if they can, they love to keep multitudes of servants or slaves, which is to the last degree ridiculous, as well as their contempt of all the world but themselves. I must confess I travelled more pleasantly afterwards in the deserts and vast wildernesses of Grand Tartary than here, and yet the roads here are well paved and well kept, and very convenient for travellers, but nothing was more awkward to me than to see such a haughty, imperious, insolent people, in the midst of the grossest simplicity and ignorance, and my friend Father Simon and I used to be very merry upon these occasions, to see their beggarly pride. For example, coming by the house of a country gentleman, as Father Simon called him, about ten leagues off the city of Nankin, we had first of all the honor to ride with the master of the house about two miles. The state he rode in was a perfect Don Quixotism, being a mixture of pomp and poverty. His habit was very proper for a merry Andrew, being a dirty calico, with hanging sleeves, tassels, and cuts and slashes almost on every side. It covered a taffety vest, so greasy as to testify that his honor must be a most exquisite sloven. His horse was a poor, starved, hobbling creature, and two slaves followed him on foot to drive the poor creature along. He had a whip in his hand, and he belabored the beast as fast about the head as his slaves did about the tail, and thus he rode by us, with about ten or twelve servants, going from the city to his country seat, about half a league before us. We travelled on gently, but this figure of a gentleman rode away before us, and as we stopped at a village about an hour to refresh us, when we came by the country seat of this great man, we saw him in a little place before his door, eating a repast. It was a kind of garden, but he was easy to be seen, and we were given to understand that the more we looked at him the better he would be pleased. He sat under a tree, something like the palmetto, which effectually shaded him over the head, and on the south side, but under the tree was placed a large umbrella, which made that part look well enough. He sat lolling back in a great elbow-chair, being a heavy, corpulent man, and had his meat brought him by two women slaves. He had two more, one of whom fed the squire with a spoon, and the other held the dish with one hand, and scraped off what he let fall upon his worship's beard and taffety vest. 
leaving the poor wretch to please himself with our looking at him as if we admired his idle pomp we pursued our journey father simon had the curiosity to stay to inform himself what dainties the country justice had to feed on in all his state which he had the honor to taste of and which was i think a mess of boiled rice with a great piece of garlic in it and a little bag filled with green pepper and another plant which they have there something like our ginger but smelling like musk and tasting like mustard all this was put together and a small piece of lean mutton boiled in it and this was his worship's repast four or five servants more attended at a distance who we supposed were to eat of the same after their master as for our mandarin with whom we travelled he was respected as a king surrounded always with his gentlemen and attended in all his appearances with such pomp that i saw little of him but at a distance i observed that there was not a horse in his retinue but that our carrier's pack-horses in england seemed to me to look much better though it was hard to judge rightly for they were so covered with equipage mantles trappings etc that we could scarce see anything but their feet and their heads as they went along i was now light-hearted and all my late trouble and perplexity being over i had no anxious thoughts about me which made this journey the pleasanter to me in which no ill accident attended me only in passing or fording a small river my horse fell and made me free of the country as they call it that is to say threw me in the place was not deep but it wetted me all over i mention it because it spoiled my pocket-book wherein i had set down the names of several people and places which i had occasion to remember and which not taking due care of the leaves rotted and the words were never after to be read at length we arrived at pekin i had nobody with me but the youth whom my nephew had given me to attend me as a servant and who proved very trusty and diligent and my partner had nobody with him but one servant who was a kinsman as for the portuguese pilot he being desirous to see the court we bore his charges for his company and for our use of him as an interpreter for he understood the language of the country and spoke good french and a little english indeed this old man was most useful to us everywhere for we had not been above a week at pekin when he came laughing ah signor inglese says he i have something to tell will make your heart glad my heart glad says i what can that be i don't know anything in this country can either give me joy or grief to any great degree yes yes says the old man in broken english make you glad me sorry why said i will it make you sorry because said he you have brought me here twenty-five days journey and will leave me to go back alone and which way shall i get to my port afterwards without a ship without a horse without pecune so he called money being his broken latin of which he had abundance to make us merry with in short he told us there was a great caravan of muscovite and polish merchants in the city preparing to set out on their journey by land to muscovy within four or five weeks and he was sure we would take the opportunity to go with them and leave him behind to go back alone i confess i was greatly surprised with this good news and had scarce power to speak to him for some time but at last i said to him how do you know this are you sure it is true yes says he i met this morning in the street an old acquaintance of mine an armenian who is among them he came last from astrakhan and was designed to go to tonquin where i formerly knew him but has altered his mind and is now resolved to go with the caravan to moscow and so down the river volga to astrakhan 
Well, senor, says I, do not be uneasy about being left to go back alone. If this be a method for my return to England, it shall be your fault if you go back to Macau at all. We then went to consult together what was to be done, and I asked my partner what he thought of the pilot's news, and whether it would suit with his affairs. He told me he would do just as I would, for he had settled all his affairs so well at Bengal, and left his effects in such good hands, that as we had made a good voyage, if he could invest it in China silks, wrought and raw, he would be content to go to England, and then make a voyage back to Bengal by the company's ships. Having resolved upon this, we agreed that if our Portuguese pilot would go with us, we would bear his charges to Moscow or to England if he pleased, nor indeed were we to be esteemed over-generous in that either, if we had not rewarded him further, the service he had done us being really worth more than that. For he had not only been a pilot to us at sea, but he had been like a broker for us on shore, and his procuring for us a Japan merchant was some hundreds of pounds in our pockets so being willing to gratify him which was but doing him justice and very willing also to have him with us besides for he was a most necessary man on all occasions we agreed to give him a quantity of coined gold which as i computed it was worth one hundred and seventy-five pounds sterling between us and to bear all his charges both for himself and horse except only a horse to carry his goods Having settled this between ourselves, we called him to let him know what we had resolved. I told him he had complained of our being willing to let him go back alone, and I was now about to tell him we designed he should not go back at all, that as we had resolved to go to Europe with the caravan, we were very willing he should go with us, and that we called him to know his mind. He shook his head and said it was a long journey, and that he had no pecune to carry him thither, or to subsist himself when he came there. We told him we believed it was so, and therefore we had resolved to do something for him that should let him see how sensible we were of the service he had done us, and also how agreeable he was to us. And then I told him what we had resolved to give him here, which he might lay out as we would do our own and that as for his charges if he would go with us we would set him safe on shore life and casualties excepted either in muscovy or england as he would choose at our own charge except only the carriage of his goods he received the proposal like a man transported and told us he would go with us over all the whole world and so we all prepared for our journey However, as it was with us, so it was with the other merchants, they had many things to do, and instead of being ready in five weeks, it was four months and some days before all things were got together. End of chapter 13